Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. Um, I just got back from my first long run after the Thanksgiving gorging myself, it felt like. Uh, <laughs> and it was painful. Um, but I guess this whole episode, let's just remind us this. Sometimes the f- the hardest thing is actually getting out the door and lining up for that workout, for that run. So uh, go do that, you know? You, there's so many excuses not to, but really at the end of the day, once you get out there, you, f- you feel pretty good. So I survived my post-Thanksgiving long run. I'm, I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> uh, this week, we're talking with Tony Wynn. Uh, Tony's story is really, really uh, inspiring. And I guess the thing that's the most inspiring to me was just listening to the joy, the like pure joy about running from this guy. Like this was a guy who was never an athlete, um, self-professed last kid picked in gym class uh, who one day had a scare and got, got out that door. He got out the door and he just started doing it. Um, and then he just more than almost I, more than probably anybody I've talked to on the podcast so far, he became completely just possessed by this need to go run. And he just started doing races all the time, found this wonderful community and went from basically a non-athlete to uh, an ultra runner who's ran multiple hundred milers. Uh, and and that along with every other distance you possibly could imagine, you know, like you follow this guy's races, it's like 5k some weekends to a hundred miles other weekends, um, with a handful of DNFs in there. So a lot of like lining up to the start line and things not necessarily going his way and learning from the lessons and, and just staying so incredibly positive. Um, so I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. It's a really good one post Thanksgiving, I think, because now it's like, okay, we have, we're about ready to just reset and start chasing some, some more of our goals here. So, uh, let's use Tony's story as like a, as a kick in the butt. Maybe we all need (laughs) at this point. And maybe I'm just talking about myself. (laughs) Uh, yeah. If you enjoy this episode, you can check out the rest of our podcasts. Um, we're on iTunes, we're on SoundCloud, we're wherever you listen to podcasts um yeah i'd go back check out i bet you'll find some episodes they're not all about running or not all about ultra running but they are all about just these wonderful regular people accomplishing these extraordinary things and and i'm really proud of what we've been able to put together so far but uh but yeah let's get into it this is with endorphin dude uh, like a Bigfoot podcast number 121 with Tony Wynn. All right, welcome back to Like a Bigfoot podcast. I am here this week with Tony Wynn. And man, I'm really, I'm just really excited to hear your story. You sound like a very positive, like energetic person, first of all. I try to be. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I know our uh, mutual friend Jay Lee reached out and uh, told me about you and said you have a really um, inspiring kind of fascinating story. So uh, I'm just really excited to to hear about it and hear about all of your adventures um, that you've had through running. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I started out. Um, Ten, it, it's kind of funny because my 10-year anniversary of uh, running is coming up in April. Um, so here's my story, just in a nutshell. I um, 10 years ago, I did my life change because I, I made some life changes. Um, I, I was the fat kid who um, always got picked last in PE. And I grew up to become the uh, insulin-dependent uh, couch potato. I weighed in at about uh, 230 pounds for my five-foot-five frame. Um, I was diabetic, type 2 diabetic. I was on meds for cholesterol. 
uh, high blood pressure. I mean, my bathroom medicine cabinet looked like a pharmacy. It, it was pretty bad. Um, and on April 1st, uh, that would be April Fool's Day, no joke. <laughs> on uh, April 1st, 10 years ago, I had a heart attack scare. I uh, collapsed onto my living room floor and was like, oh, whoa, I think I'm having a heart attack. Um, fortunately, it wasn't a heart attack. It was just really poor nutrition, lack of exercise. It, I was living a very dangerously sedentary life. And so what I did was I took my dog for a walk around the block and um, it felt good. It was very therapeutic for me. The next day it became two blocks. The day after that, three blocks. And before I knew it, I was taking all these long urban hikes all throughout San Francisco and uh, spending hours and hours after work, just walking my dog all over across the Golden Gate Bridge, um, uh, curling down Lombard Street, just uh, walking through the Tenderloin. I walked everywhere in San Francisco. And, um, and within a few months, I dropped a lot of weight, was feeling good about myself. And a buddy of mine asked me, he said to me, hey, Tony, I am running the San Francisco Marathon. Um, why don't you come out and, uh, and hang out with us, you know? So I was like, yeah, that's, that's cool. And I was like, um, so a marathon, what's that? Like seven, eight miles. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't know what, a, I, I didn't know what a marathon was. I, I, I knew nothing about running. I, I thought a, uh, I thought a 10k was like a, um, part of your 401k, you know, like a form you filled out for your 401k. I, <laughs> I, I had no clue. So, um, long story short, I uh, showed up uh, at the finish line at the San Francisco Marathon in 2009 and uh, watched all these people run in. And uh, they were running through the finish line shooting. I can feel that uh, uh, secondhand runners high. I was getting excited for these people. And so I just basically turned to the person, the random stranger next to me and said, I want to do this. I'm going to run this marathon next year. And so because I said it out loud, I, I had to do it. That's so, awesome. Um, yeah. So my long urban hikes all around the city turned into marathon training. And that's basically how I got into running. Wow. Okay. So a couple of things about that, like, what what was it about walking that kind of hooked you? Like what what was it the exploration, like being able to see all these new parts of the city or was it just purely the exercise or what was it about that? Well, initially, to answer your question, uh, yes, all of the above. But initially, walking was the only thing I could do. Um, I was at that time, I was physically incapable of doing anything else. I couldn't run. I couldn't really jump. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't laugh at the gym. Treadmills were hard for me. I, I was so unhealthy that walking was the only thing I was capable of doing at that time. And um, it was really hard initially. That first couple of, uh, uh, walks that I did. I mean, um, I, I lived at the time I lived in San Francisco. So, um, I don't know if you've been to San Francisco, but it's pretty hilly. Dude, in San Francisco. It's like the hilliest city of all time. <laughs> I would, that's what I was thinking too. I was like, damn, like not only walking, but like walking in San Francisco is a whole nother ball game. Exactly. Exactly. So initially it was hard walking up these hills, you know, but but it just, once my body acclimated to all the hills and my body got used to it and then I got healthier and fitter, it just became this, this whole therapeutic uh, um, kind of holistic thing for me where I would walk my dog every day. Uh, I have a five-pound Chowini. Uh, for, for you listeners out here who don't know what a Chowini is, that's a half chihuahua 
half wiener dog mix. <laughs> so a chowini. Uh, she is five pounds, and she her name is Chewbacca. Um, Naturally, so he's a white. That's what I was yes. expecting. <laughs> <laughs> Chewbacca, um, and the the reason why the walking became therapeutic and important to me was because I was walking my dog. My dog is the reason why I went to take that walk around the block. Because when I collapsed on my living room floor, my dog was barking at me, and she had this look in her eyes, this look of, um, please don't make me an orphan once again. Uh, Chewbacca was a rescue dog. I rescued her. There was some, um, some abuse that went on in her past life that I don't know too much about. But it took a bit for me to, uh, for her and me to really uh, become one. Um, it took about a year for her to really adjust. And so I, I can see in her eyes that she was saying to me, it's like, don't, don't you die on me. Don't, yeah. don't you dare die on me. I'm not going back to the pound. So that's why the walking uh, Chewbacca was so important to me because it became this uh, therapeutic bonding uh, session uh, for myself and my dog. And um, also, it just helped me to just being looking at the scenery and walking all around the urban hikes. Um, it just it became my thing. And um, that's why I did it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's. Yeah. So I as I think about San Francisco, I've only been there once. I went there with my wife on a, a road trip. And mm -hmm. but that one time being there, I I the running community in San Francisco really stands out. And so on oh, one yeah. hand you have this community of people where it seems like 90% of people in that town are runners, <laughs> which is great. You know, like that's an awesome thing that to definitely like, especially as you're starting off. But on the other right. hand, like I could see that being totally intimidating, you know, where you're, you're starting off and you're trying to put together you know, short runs and all of a sudden you're getting passed by these people who look like they're like carved out of marble or whatever, you know, yeah, just sprinting yeah. by. Like, how did you, how did you handle that once you actually, you know, started running? Well, it's funny you should mention that because, so I, once I got like my running in order, I, I started out as just, you know, as a walker and I didn't, um, I didn't know anything about running so I had to learn how to do all this stuff. I didn't know how to uh, pace myself. I didn't know about nutrition. You know, I didn't know any of this stuff. These are things I kind of learned on my own and just talking to people on social media and just meeting other runners. So to answer your question, um, I joined my local running club, uh, Dolphin South End Runners, and I remember my first race with them I, I signed up because it was for, uh, a 10K, and I just signed up, and I was like, oh, my God. I showed up at the front, the, the start line, and all these guys are runners. That, they were the guys that was in, like, the, my high school track team, you know, yeah, with the yeah. short shorts, you know? <laughs> yeah. and the, 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 you know, and I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? But, you know, what I found is that in um, – and it's, I don't think it's just a San Francisco thing. I think the running community is so, um, so it, it's such a special community. Everyone supports everyone. I've noticed that, you know, and yeah. they, my running club just welcomes me and uh, they welcome uh, people of runners of all speeds because speed is relative, you know, uh, one man's fast, is another man slow, you know, so it's just, it's relative. So, um, my experience with, uh, all the runners in the Bay area is they've been so supportive from day one. And that was 10 years ago when I started. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So how did, how did that first marathon go? Well, so it, it went, it went great. I had trained hard for it. I had run a couple of, um, half marathons leading up to that. Um, and one thing I, I, I uh, didn't tell you yet is that, so I kind of formed an alter ego. Um, <laughs> I, I <laughs> My alter ego is endorphin, dude. I don't know if you knew that, but um, 
I am known as Endorphin Dude yeah. in the running world. Uh, I in, saw that. In, that's in your my... that's your Instagram uh, name, and I, it made me. That's... It's awesome because you have a little cartoon of a superhero. Yes. So let, let me let me tell you about Endorphin Dude. Um, so Endorphin Dude is this persona that I created early on in my running, uh, my training for the marathon. Because let me just tell you, oh my God, training for the San Francisco Marathon ten years ago was so hard yeah. because you know it's like you 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 run the 5k and you're like okay i can totally do this and then you run a 10k and you're like okay this is good this is good and then you hit your half marathon and you're like awesome i can do this and i think the the common misnomer that a lot of uh uh first time runners or beginning runners marathon trainer training uh people uh i think the biggest um misconception is when a runner assumes that, oh, I ran my half marathon in two hours. I can run my marathon in four. Yeah. You can't just double. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. Anyway, my point is that marathon training was very difficult to me. And so I would always hit the wall like about mile 18, 19. That's kind of standard for most people. Mile 18, 19, 20. So I created this persona, this superhero endorphin dude, where I I would be running through the streets of San Francisco as a superhero in this video game. <laughs> and um, as I'm running along, if I start to, I, 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 I would hit all these obstacle, obstacle courses, like a biker or like um, a little old lady. And, you know, you would like punch out the biker, you know, and you get points for that. And Hopefully um, not the uh, little old lady. Hopefully you didn't punch Not out the them. little old lady. No. <laughs> no, if you help the little old lady across the street, oh, there you, you go, get there you go. Points. You get an energy gel, you know. Nice, <laughs> nice. So the little old lady would give you the energy gel. So, um, so in my, I had to play mind games like this yeah. uh, to help me uh, get through those uh, tough training miles, and it just kind of the whole, uh, the whole concept of endorphin dude was just kind of in my head. And then one day, um, a friend of mine, um, she. She double uh, dog dared me to wear a cape to um, uh, for my next uh, half marathon. So sure enough, I did. She bought me a cape. <laughs> so I wore this cape of all places, the Dallas Rock and Roll Half Marathon. <laughs> I'm in Texas, you know, this this uh, Asian dude with spiky hair in a cape <laughs> running in Texas. <laughs> but but it went over well. It yeah. went over well. And so... It, it just kind of stuck. And so I became endorphin dude and I started branding it and I created this kind this, uh, this brand and, uh, it just stuck over the years. So, um, so a, many, many, many people out there, runners, they know me as endorphin dude. That's, and awesome, that's, that's how I got through. Yeah. That's how I got through marathon training. But as for the marathon itself, um, for my very first marathon, um, I ran a six eleven. I was happy with that. You know, it was yeah. my first marathon. It was the San Francisco marathon. It was really hilly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I was very happy with that. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Well, I got to say, like, I do relate to Endorphin Dude, believe it or not, because when I first started trail running in Virginia, it would just be at my local, whatever, we had like 30 miles of single track through the woods, right? And uh-huh. I just remember every time going there, I would bring a bandana and I would tie it on my head and then I throw the backpack on and just that little bit of like, it felt like I'm putting on my, it did. It felt like I was like, I'm putting on my superhero costume right now. You, I'm about, y- indeed you were. Yeah. And it's true. Like it totally helped. It helped make those miles <laughs> go easier because you are kind of like, if you're putting on a persona almost, you're like, oh, this isn't. This training day is not going to beat up Tony. This training day is going to, you know, endorphin dude's going to take it on. And you kind of like change your mindset a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you nailed it. That's interesting, man. That's like, I wonder how (laughs) many people can relate to that, honestly, you know? Oh, I'm sure a lot of people can. I'm sure a lot of people can. Yeah, yeah. But when you first said it out loud to your friend, because you said it was all in your head. But like uh-huh. when you first told somebody, what did they say? 
Uh, about endorphin dude or yeah. about uh, running the first marathon? Oh, uh, just about endorphin dude. Like when you said it out loud for the first time, you're like, so when I run, I'm imagining myself as a superhero. Yeah. So when my friend gave me that cape, I was kind of like, oh, I guess I kind of have to do it now, you know, <laughs> but the, the reception, the response I got at the race was just so supportive, you know, yeah. and it, it was great, you know, and, and it worked. It, it worked because it took, it kind of took the pain away, you know, yeah. the pain of the, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it just kind of stuck. So I, I just, I, I, I became endorphin dude, and um, and I just started cranking out more half marathons, marathons, and I, I just became very, kind of a a fixture in the running, uh, in the running world. I was at every race, every weekend, um. Yeah, every weekend. That's what I was going to say. Like looking at your website and ultra sign up stuff before this, I'm like, you went all in. Like as soon as you started running, you were just like, oh, this is my thing now. Like, I don't know if I've seen someone who's been to as many races as you have. (laughs) The word moderation doesn't really exist in my vocabulary. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is so interesting to me. So growing up, you were you athletic at all, or was this oh, God, a new thing? No. I was, I, I was the fat kid who always got picked last in PE, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was far from athletic. So um, no, no, no. So um, yeah, no. So that's why, you know, this uh, adult onset athleticism thing. You know, <laughs> yeah. it, it was kind of new to me. It was kind of exciting. You know. Yeah. So that's why I just jumped into it and started running every freaking race in sight and just loving it, you know? And, um, yeah, that's, that's what it is. You know, I got excited as an adult being an athlete, you know, I mean, it's kind of like when, so when I was in high school, I was kind of like the, uh, I was in the French club drama club. I, you know, I was, you know, kind of a nerdy kid. Um, I was a fat kid, so I never did anything, uh, sports related, so it's like uh, those guys who you see in the varsity jackets, you know, uh, with the, the Letterman jacket. It's like I'm one of those guys now with like – because you know how when you run a race and you get like a jacket? Yeah. I, I proudly wear all my jackets. I'm like, oh, yeah, I ran this race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a jock. <laughs> yeah. That's just – it just is – it's really inspiring to see someone kind of find their love of athletics like that, like later on in life. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I I agree. What, what, what was it about running then? So you talked a little bit about walking, but like once you started running, like how did that change your like viewpoint on life? Well, you know, it was a natural progression um, to move into running and to be very honest with you, I'm not very coordinated. So every other sport out there, I'm just not good at. I mean, for the life of me, I can't. The guys at work make fun of me for this. Uh, We have like this little mini basketball hoop in in the office that I just cannot make a shot. I just can't. Um, I'm that uncoordinated. So running uh, was just the natural thing for me to do because it, you don't have to look good running. You just have to get from point A to point B, you know? So it doesn't matter how you look. uh, uh, You just have to get from that point to that point. So it was just a natural progression to go from walking all around San Francisco to running. So that, that's how I got that. That's how it came to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So after the first marathon, what, like what happened after that? What did you, when did you first hear about ultras, I guess, is where I kind of want to go. Okay. So remember how I was talking about that video game concept? Yeah. So there's this club. Um, I'm sure you've heard of it, but if not, then Google it. It's called Marathon Maniacs. And what Marathon Maniacs is, it's a club for people who run a lot of marathons. And so I heard about this club early on and I, I just, I, I wanted to join, but to join this club, you had to have, um, you can't just join, you have to qualify for it. 
uh, and the entry level qualification is to run three marathons in three months time. So I thought to myself, okay, when I ran the San Francisco marathon, it was supposed to have been a one and done. And that is all. But then I got enticed by this running club that a lot of people that I met through running were marathon maniacs. So I was like, okay, I, all I need to do is run three marathons in a three month span. And then I get into this club and then I'll get the singlet, which to me was equivalent to the letterman jacket in high school. I wanted that singlet just to say, Oh yeah, I, I got my, my jacket here. I got my singlet. So, um, I, after the San Francisco marathon, uh, a month later, I jumped in and ran another marathon. It was the, uh, um, it was the one in Nevada. It was the, uh, um, extraterrestrial highway along route, uh, uh, along the, um, extraterrestrial highway in Nevada. Um, I did that one. And then a month after that, I ran the Santa Rosa marathon and got my three marathons in. And then it was supposed to be three and done, got my jacket, signed, sealed, delivered. Well, remember how I told you earlier that moderation is a word that doesn't exist in my vocabulary? Yeah. <laughs> well, so in Marathon Maniacs, um, the thing is that, so that's just the first level, three marathons in three months. If you, the more marathons you run, the more, um, the, the higher in levels you go. And I wanted to reach level 10, which you get 10 stars. It's called titanium level. So in order to hit titanium, I had to run 52 marathons in 52 weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Dang, man. And and I was just like, okay, um, okay, I'm going to do it. Why not? But it's going to be 52 and done. So um, in 2011, I that was my quest to run 52 marathons in 52 weeks, and um, I I I don't know how I did it. I I'm surprised I did not have to file bankruptcy that year or anything like that. But um, yeah, I I I did it. Wow. 52 weeks. Some weeks I missed the marathon due to injuries or whatever. So I had to like double up. Oh my god, up, man. You know? Wait, so are these like official races? Like are you these just are, are you doing the distance? Races. Whoa. Yeah, no, no. These are official races where you have to have five starters, uh you have to have a published time. The the race company has to have a uh a website. They were official races. Dang. They weren't just distances. How do you even and find that many marathons in a year? You know <laughs> like You know, year. that's the thing. There's marathoning. There's so many companies out there. Uh, not so much at the time that I did this, but now, if you Google like marathons, you'll find there. There's race companies that do like seven marathons in seven days in seven different states. Okay. You know, there are these companies that cater to people like uh, like me who goes for like the the quantity. So after I hit 52 and 52, the natural progression after that was to uh, go ultra. Yeah. And um, I had been around so many people. I, I, I looked through your um, your podcast list. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, I, I looked through it. I've downloaded a few. And uh, you've interviewed some of my um, very good friends. Uh, Katra Corbett. Yeah, Katra's uh, awesome. Cor- Katra's amazing. Corey Reese. Uh, I uh, saw you... Um, uh, did uh, had a podcast with him. Yeah. So I started meeting all these people just in my local races, and it it was just the natural progression to go ultra, and so that's why I I I knew that in order to succeed at an ultra, I I had to train differently, and to be honest with you, even though I had lost all that weight, um, so I was about two hundred twenty seven pounds when I had that heart attack scare, I dropped about 50 pounds um, when I ran my first marathon. But I was still carrying a lot of weight. And it was just one of those things where I knew that if I wanted to be a successful ultra runner, I had to get fitter and I had to get stronger. 
So I started really training um, because when you're running 52 marathons in 52 weeks, you're not training for these things. You're yeah. just doing them just to get them done. So my average time for those marathons were like seven, eight hours, you know? Yeah. So after that, that titanium quest ended, my, my goal was to get faster, fitter, stronger, and smarter. And, and that's why, that's how I entered the ultra world because I wanted to become stronger. Yeah. Well, actually, before we move on from the titanium thing, I just was thinking about it. How many people have actually completed that? Do you know? Uh, oh, yeah. There, um, I don't have the exact number, but I think in the club, it's, it's, it's about it's maybe like three or 400 at this point. I think I was like number, I was the 91st person to do it at wow. the time. But I think they're up to like three, 400. I'd have to look at the numbers, but it's, there, there's quite a few. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dang, man. Quite a lot. Marathon Maniacs, now. like that totally, that name just fits it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. So, okay, so getting fit stronger and and skinnier, like how did you go about that? Well, it 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 came down to um, nutrition yeah. and training. So, I mean, I was eating so... I think one of the biggest misconceptions about running is that, oh, I just ran 20 miles. I can eat this much food. It doesn't work that way. No. You know, you have oh, to. I, I 100% yeah. agree. Like people say that all yeah. the time and I'm like, where they're like, you're a runner. You can eat whatever you want. And I'm like, no, I can't because when I'm eating really unhealthy, I don't recover as fast. And you know, exactly. I'm way more sore. I'm like, no, I have to actually eat better because I'm a runner to let me do what I exactly. want. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to really kind of change my diet because I was eating too way too much processed foods, um, drinking way too much um, uh, uh, sodas and things like that. And um, I I became a um, a pescatarian. Um, I don't. The only meat that I eat is fish. And it's and I didn't do this for political reasons or religious reasons or anything like that. I just did it because I wanted to get healthier, you know, and um, and faster. So and I found that it worked for me. It doesn't work for everybody, you know, but it worked for me. So I've been a pescatarian for about six, seven years now, and it's really worked well for me. Yeah. So what about the, um, like as you boosted your miles or whatever, like how did you get stronger during that time? Well, I just started to, um, so I talked to a lot of people. I talked to Catra and I talked to a lot of these people, ultra runners who are, um, doing this on a regular basis. And they just kind of gave me tips on what I needed to do to train for an ultra so, because, I mean, running a marathon is hard in itself, but adding another uh, uh, five miles to do a 50K, that was kind of daunting, you know? And not just daunting, but it became, because mo these 50K ultras and, you know, ultras in general are all trail races. And trail was something I was not used to because I, I was a road runner. And trail to me was like, um, I, 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 I watch a lot of tennis. Um, I grew up watching tennis. So, uh, tennis to me is, it's kind of like if, if I weren't a runner and if I was good enough, I would be a tennis player. And in tennis, uh, there's, um, four different surfaces that you play on. Uh, there's grass, there's dirt, there's, um, uh, uh, uh concrete and, What's considered the hardest um, for the American is uh, the French Open, which is played on dirt. Um, it's just because Americans don't play on that surface. They play on the hard surfaces. Anyway, my point is that for me, I felt like an American at the French Open running on trails because my legs were not accustomed to the trails, the roots, the loose gravel, the rocks and things like that. Um, I can run um, like an American playing on the hard course, the U.S. Open, Australia Open. I can do that. But that that elusive French Open was really tough for me. I had to train my body to run on trails. And um, and that's 
And in order to do that, I had to start weight training and things like that and work on my balance and uh, uh, work on like my core and things like that. And I'm, I by no means am at that stage, that level yet where I, I can't run shirtless, you know, without, <laughs> you know, I, I can't, I'm not one of those guys yet, you know, I'm not winning races, you know, but I'm much stronger than I was when I started out as a runner because I started all this uh, cross training. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. Cause uh, trail running is a lot, is a lot harder than road running in some uh, sense, but I like it more. I, I consider myself a trail boy. Oh, and I don't wear the cape anymore because I'm afraid during a trail run, uh, the cape will get caught to a branch or something. I might, you know, <laughs> get decapitated or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to change your superhero outfit from there. Um, exactly. So now, like you, I have the bandana and the hydration dude, pack and a pair of hokas. That's so. <laughs> it. That's, you got it. You got it made then, man. Um, what what trails were you starting off on? Uh, were you still in San Francisco in this time or, have, or had you moved? Oh, yeah. Or? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was still living in San Francisco. So... Uh, in, in in San Francisco, in our Bay Area, we got some pretty amazing trails. Oh, I mean, yeah. we have the Marin Headlands. We have Mount Diablo. Um, and then if you go up a little bit north, um, uh, Sacramento area, Auburn, you have the Western States trails, you know? Yeah. So um, I, I, I had all these things within a 50 to 60-mile radius. So, yeah. That's pretty, like, I mean – the Marin headlands by themselves. I've never been to, but you always hear that as kind of like one of the meccas of trail running. Oh my God. You got to come out here. We'll go for a run. I'll take you. Yeah. I'll take you to the Marin headlands. You'll be amazed. That would rock. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, not right now though, because our air quality is really bad right now. That's what I hear. With that's, all the, yeah. yeah. The, the fi- there's been a lot of fires here. So air quality is not that great. Right yeah. Now, right Cause now. I have a friend yeah. who, uh, is planning on doing the quad dipsy this weekend. Oh yeah. But yeah, he, he's, awesome. he was concerned a bit and he was, he, I don't think he was sure he was doing it because of the air. Okay. Yeah. 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 Quad dipsy is great. You're going to, uh, you should run that one. Well, yeah. <laughs> tell me about that. Cause it's kind of like a famous race out there and, and I know yeah, it's like really yeah. interesting how they do it, but can you kind of describe that for people? Yeah. So I have run the double dipsy, uh, four times, five times. And the quad dipsy I've run twice, but I've actually haven't, uh, haven't been able to finish the quad dipsy. Um, I DNF twice there. Um, it's, it's a tough, tough race, but basically it's, um, a very famous trail. Um, and it starts, well, depending on which race it is, it either starts at Stinson beach or at, at Mill Valley, the other end. So basically, it's I think it's nine thousand seven hundred feet elevation gain over um, a twenty-eight mile stretch. So you run. So it's it's just a seven-mile stretch. The trail, the Dipsy Trail, a seven-mile stretch. But with the Quad Dipsy, you run it um, f- uh, four times, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's basically you run up a giant mountain <laughs> called Cardiac. Uh, how apropos, right? Cardiac. <laughs> yeah. You run up a giant mountain and then you run down and then you run up again and run down. Oh so um, it's, it's an intense race. I did the double dipsy about uh, five times and that, that one is intense, but imagine doing the quad dipsy where you have to do it uh, uh, double of the double, you know? Yeah. But it, it's a wow. great race. Very well supported. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's one that I've, heard of from multiple people so it's just oh yeah you know is it how many people run it every year i think um it's it's max capacity so i okay i i don't know exactly but probably like 200 i guess but that's just running her 21st running of it now so no way really yeah she's done it 20 times so she's going for number 21 i think so yeah (laughs) she's the other one who i've talked to on the show who i've been like once they got into running, they went all in. Like, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Wow, that's that's awesome. So, training for the ultras. When when did you take on your first one hundred miler? Oh my god. Okay, so um, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this publicly to you, um, <laughs> but if you Google endorphin do nanny goat, there is vid- a video on YouTube that someone caught of me. Oh my God. So Nanny Goat 
so there's this race called Nanny Goat. It's down in Southern California, and it's basically <laughs> it's it's. <laughs> Are you sitting down for this? Because what I'm about to tell you, it's probably going to just boggle your mind, and you're probably going to think, what the, you know? Nanny Goat is a one-mile loop on a ranch that runs on a barn, you know, like a, a ranch. Yeah. And you run through, like, a horse stall. It's horse stalls. So that's kind of like your age station. You set up, like, your age station in horse stalls. So you <laughs> no run way. Through, like, this you run through the stable and it's a one mile loop on this like private property ranch. I mean, there are like goats on this ranch. There's like horses, like, you know, it's like a barn, you know? So my first um, hundred mile attempt was, I think it was like, back in 2012. Um, and it's, it's a flat course, but it's, it's down in Riverside, California in May. So it gets really hot and there's so much dust and, you know, there are animals there and stuff. So I, I had this, I learned so much from my first hundred mile attempt. Um, I ran the race and you have to get to, you have 28 hours to complete a hundred miles at Nanny Goat. And um, if you, but there, there's like a intermediate cutoff. You have to reach mile 86 by um, 86. Yeah. Mile 86 by um, the 24th hour or um, and then they'll let you continue if you don't make it to mile 86 in 24 hours you're done so I'm like running this race and it was just like such my mind was just blown in the most negative way possible I was in a bad place and I kept running I kept running and I did make that cutoff but I made it like with by like 40 seconds to spare and I and I I tried and I tried and I had this epic meltdown that was caught on video. <laughs> it's on YouTube. I'm, I'm I, I have I, the video playing right now. Obviously, I don't have any noise, but <laughs> and I'm okay with it now, you know, because but at the time that was just like, oh my god, I can't believe there's this video of my epic meltdown at Nanny Goat, <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm totally okay with it now because I've learned from it, you know. But um, it was hard, you know. Yeah. I I was pushing so hard after mile. They say that in a hundred mile race, um, the first hundred k means nothing. It's what you can produce in the final forty miles that that separates uh, a uh, you the ultra runner from just the casual runner. Yeah, and uh, which is true because the first sixty miles, I was like, okay, whatever, you know, this is great, things are good. But then once you get to like mile 70, 80, 90, that's when like the sleep deprivation kicks in, the blisters start hurting more, um, the pain, the the cramping, you know, the chafing, all all that all that glamorous stuff that we ultra runners, you know, go through, you know. And um, I I just had this epic epic meltdown. Um, that was so vocal and yeah. so, you know, and it was heartbreaking uh, to get. So I ended up DNFing at mile 88. Wow. I, just, I, I had nothing left in the tank. Um, and I, I had four hours on the clock to run a half marathon, but I just couldn't do it. And I was, you know, I was a newbie to this whole ultra thing. You know, I was a, I was brand new to it. So I was so inexperienced. I was so green. And so, but that whole nanny goat experience really, that DNF is, um, was an important DNF because the thing is that hitting rock bottom is not always a bad thing because what, what it does is that it forces you to reevaluate what's important and it pushes you to claw your way back up to the top. And that's what I did after Nanny Goat. I, I just reviewed everything that went wrong and made adjustments and just kind of retrained. And um, a few months later, I attempted the 100 miler again at a race called Rendezvous in uh, Morgan Hill, California, uh, which is near San Jose, um, California. And I was able to finish my first 100 miler um, in 30 hours and nine minutes wow. at Rendezvous. 
What, yeah, that was wow. my first buckle. Well, I got to say about Nanny Goat, it seems like, you know, those meltdowns in 100-mile races seem to be, like, fairly common. But when you're doing uh-huh. just a one-mile loop where you're around people, like, <laughs> 24-7, like, it's going to be a much more public meltdown than, you know, if you're in a mountain 100 and you're in the middle of nowhere oh, by yeah. yourself, you know? Oh, Yeah. At my last hundred uh, miler that I just did, so so okay. So after run uh, after rendezvous, after I got my first hundred miler, I, I I started doing more ultras, and I had a, a series of ups and downs. And two two and a half years ago in 2016, um, I I started getting hit with multiple injuries and illnesses. Um, it was just really kind of one of those things where. I, I don't know where all this was coming from. I thought I was healthy. I had, I got myself weaned off of all meds. Uh, like when I first started running, no more insulin, no more uh, cholesterol meds, no more uh, heart disease meds, none of that. And I, I just thought I was in the best shape of my life, but I apparently I wasn't because I started getting hit with like all these strange illnesses. I, um, I was getting kidney stones like consistently um, on my birthday, dude, on oh. my birthday, I passed seven kidney stones on my what? birthday. What? Oh, that's seven the worst way to stones. do your birthday. Yeah. Oh my God. And, um, and then I had, I got hit with like this arthritis thing, you know, and I got hit, uh, uh, with this, um, with, with arthritis and, and to top it all off, I was hit with all these like other strange injuries, um, bursitis. And I had a, a displaced patella in my left knee and all this happened like all at once uh, um, starting in 2016. So it was one of those things where I had to start all over from scratch because I remember um, I was doing leading up to, so I was uh, running a race in, um, in Ohio called burning river. It was a hundred miler. I had DNF'd at uh, Burning River at mile 86.5. Do you know how hard it is to go so far, so deep in a race? Like in the 80s, mile 86.5, and then missing the cutoff by 12 oh. minutes. You know how heartbreaking that is? Oh, that's the, yeah. yeah. So anyway, I wanted to go back to Burning River um, to redeem that, uh, to get redemption. And I, would, I trained hard, and I was getting back on track. My displaced patella had healed. I had been through physical therapy. My arthritis was under control. And then all of a sudden, uh, six weeks leading up to the race, all these kidney stones start happening. And then I started peeing blood left and right. And it was just like all these health issues happened. I ended up DNFing at Burning River at mile 60. So it was just ultras are hard. And 100 milers are hard. And it's one of those things where I tell people that I experienced so much heartache. Um, well, in in my whole running career, my 10 years of running, I experienced these like uh, euphoric highs, you know, like this endorphin high that is like, whoa. But then on the flip side, I experienced these heartbreaking lows, like my nanny goat uh, meltdown and uh, DNFing at mile 86.5 at Burning River and things like that. But I tell people all the time that you just have to move on because when you're running an ultra, things are going to happen. You, you might, you, you'll be running flying high for like 20, 30 miles and hitting everything correctly. You know, a nutrition is spot on hydration is right on. And then all of a sudden at mile 52, you're like, Oh, why, why, why do I need to throw up? And then mile 57, oh, my God, there's a blister. There's a rock in my shoe, you know. So it's okay to kind of stop at that aid station to regroup. That's kind of what life is like. Life is like one big ultra. If you're experiencing some sort of, like, breakdown, meltdown, just sit down at the aid station, regroup. Keep your eye on the clock, though, but just Stay there as long as you need to so that you can get yourself rejuvenated. And that's exactly what I did. After two and a half years of 
injuries and illnesses and bad luck, I, I, I just said to myself, I have to make some changes. So I took it, took it like a few steps up and I dropped about 25 pounds and I just amped up the cross training, amped up the hill training. And uh, three weeks ago, I ran Rio del Lago, the 100 miler, which um, up in the uh, up in cool Auburn and Folsom, California. So up in like the Sacramento area. And it's not that I ran the race of my life or anything like that. But because of my training and everything that I've been through, all the heartache, I've kind of learned how to run efficiently and smart. And that's what got me through the race. And um, I ran a very strong Rio de Lago. I finished 156 overall out of 352, I believe it was. Wow. Um, I think uh, there was like 100. I think there was 352 starters and... 251 finishers so 100 people dropped. dang man it's, it's it's a hard race yeah but it's one of the things where um i i um was looking at my results and i had passed up so many people in the second half because i just ran an efficient race i kept my pace early on and i just kept moving along plugging along uh making sure i had my hydration everything and 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 that's those are the lessons that I've learned from all my DNFs, all the heartbreak. Let, let me tell you a little something. Um, do you know what my record is in 100 milers? <laughs> it's, this, this might just, you know, shock you, but no, I, I have, um, I have 20 attempts. I've attempted 20 100 mile races. I only finished seven of them. Wow. I have 13 DNFs, 13 <laughs> DNFs in the 100 miler. But, you know, and here's the thing. I don't see that as a losing record. I, I don't see it as a losing record at all. I, I see it as, a, um, as me being resilient and me just really wanting to do this because it's important to me. I see it as me pushing myself to the limit and just keep trying um, yeah, uh, two steps forward, three steps back, whatever, at least I'm still moving, you yeah. know? And so, um, yeah. And that's why, like I said earlier, um, it, it really is true. Um, triumph really is so much sweeter when there was once heartbreak and I experienced so much heartbreak, uh, you know, not just in running, but just like when I was overweight and unhealthy, I experienced all that stuff. And so that's why getting, getting that, that buckle, for me was just so exhilarating and 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 what's really funny is that the emotion that I felt when I crossed the finish line at Rio de Lago a few weeks ago it wasn't of happiness per se I was happy don't get me wrong it was just a sense of relief relief knowing that I set a goal I worked hard at it and I achieved it in a sensible efficient smart manner you know and um and that just made me proud yeah and that's why i do this ultra running thing because it's hard it it pushes you to the limit but getting to that finish line is just like wow yeah yeah that's wow why I do it. well it's the mindset that you have that makes you successful um the looking at 13 dnfs not as a bad thing because I just I have to imagine a, a lot of people would look at 13 DNFs and be like, oh, maybe this isn't for me and then not try it right. again. And it's looking at it as like, hey, this is part of learning each each yeah. one of these DNFs. I learned a new lesson that I can apply and then applying it all like having it culminate in this really good, efficient race is, is something to be like extremely proud right. of. That's so awesome. Um, yeah. And I, I've, I love that about running too. And I've never ran a hundred miler. Um, so I'm extremely impressed by even like towing the start line of one is, is amazing to me. But, um, but with running in general, I do love when you line up for a race and you're in the middle of it and you're like, Hey, every experience I've ever had running 
has led me to mm-hmm. this moment right now. And like, Oh I'm, yeah. I'm the culmination of my experiences this is really cool. Yeah. 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 That's exactly why we do what we do, you know, and the people that I'm surrounded by, you know, I know I've dropped the catcher's name a few times already, but um, just people like Katra, you know, it's like the things that she has done in her lifetime. It's just, amazes me you know and i'm surrounded by these kinds of people i'm surrounded by world record holders and you know and and you know the other thing is that ultra runners are such down-to-earth humble mellow people they really are (laughs) yeah they totally are and it's it's a cool sport because you get to you get to line up at the start line with like the best of the best you know or the most experienced or the people who have done a bunch of these like everyone gets to do it. And, you know, Uh when you compare that with like, you know, most sports, it's not like I can go out and play basketball with LeBron James, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is super cool. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like you're, you're, you're at mile 54, 55, whatever. And, and Trayson is at an aid station filling a water bottle yeah. for readers, for your, for your uh, listeners who may not know who Ann Trayson is, Google Ann Trayson. We're oh talking my. about a 14 time uh, Western States female overall winner. She's there, am- you know? Yeah. So. She's amazing. I, she's signed up for a race I'm doing next summer and I'm like, oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> she's great. But yeah, it's, it's just stuff like that. You have Ann Trayson filling your water bottle at mile 62 of <laughs> yeah. a race, you know, it, it's great. You know, that's why I love doing what I do and it's hard, you know, hundreds are hard and it's just, I mean, running is hard. I mean, every distance is hard. You know, every, I, in my personal opinion, I think the 5k is the hardest distance. It's hard. Because it's you have to, so hard. Yeah, the five feet, you have to run until your spleen explodes. You know, yeah. you, you can't you can't stop at an aid station and eat pizza. You, know? <laughs> you can't do that. I think I'm going to I, next time I do it. Well, yeah, okay, so I people ask me all the time, why do you do this 100-miler uh, thing? It's like, why why do you run 100 miles? And I tell people, that I'm too slow for Boston. You know, I yeah. would have to run a... 325 no 320 for my age group to qualify for boston so i i run about a 430 right now so i'm about an hour off i'm too slow for boston but give me 30 hours i can knock out 100 miles and still stop at the a station and eat pizza so there <laughs> much more enjoyable <laughs> well that's awesome man yeah. well tony i guess if you had if you had like one lasting piece of advice maybe to people starting out running you know if you're someone uh-huh. who who hasn't been an athlete and this is something you want to get into, like, what would you, what would you tell that person to help them out? I would tell that person, um, just do it. I mean, just there, there's an, there's a, um, there's a saying, um, and I may be quoting this incorrectly, but it's, a um, when some, uh, dance to the, um, or dance as if no one is looking or, um, there's, there's that phrase. Um, that's what I would say. Um, just yeah. do it for yourself. Um, run as if no one's looking at you and just do it, you know, and do it for yourself. Um, and don't even think about what others are thinking and get all those things, all those demons out of your head. Um, because I had those demons early on. It's like, Oh, I can't run. These guys are too fast for me. I'm too fat to do that. You know? No, you just have to get past all that, you know, and you, you just do it, you know? So that's yeah. what I would tell people and don't be afraid. I mean, just get out there. I mean, I, I don't just, um, um, beat to my own. There's another term. I, I'm getting all like my, walk, my I do, Hey, I always do that. My <laughs> wife makes fun of me. She's like, you screw up every quote. <laughs> I think you're saying walk to the beat of your own drummer, right? Or something. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. So I don't just walk to the beat of my own drum. No, dude, I got chorus dancers. I got a whole band. I got a whole <laughs> orchestra. I got everyone behind me, you know? There you so go. That's, that's how you're supposed to do it, you know? So I would tell all the runners out there who are just starting out, just, you know, jump into it and have fun with it. And just don't overthink it. Just do it. And yeah you will thank yourself for doing so just 
follow your heart and just do it. That's so great. I, I think you sharing your story is one of the reasons why I really like podcasts because, you know, it, it's it's different than like if I look on Instagram, I can see someone who has just finished a hundred miler and you're like, wow, what an accomplishment, uh-huh. but you don't get to see all the hard work and all the ups and downs and pitfalls and yeah. all that stuff that goes into it. And then, you know, when you, when you come on and share your story, like that's the part I personally find really inspiring. And I personally find really powerful is, you know, you, you get to open up about like, oh yeah, this isn't, this is more than just the finish line photo. This is this, this story of all these peaks and valleys along the way that I had to go through, yep. which is, yep. which is awesome, man. So, yep. so thank, thank you. you so much. Yeah. Like keep sharing your story. I guess what I'm trying to say, it's, it's incredibly <laughs> inspiring. So, um, thanks for having me on your show. I was kind of nervous about this. Um, <laughs> you so, shouldn't be, but, um, you're natural. <laughs> thank you so much. Truly been a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, Tony. All right. Thank you, Tony, for sharing your story. Um, check him out. That's Endorphin Dude. Uh, you can find all of his stuff. Um, I really connected with that aspect of a story of, you know, pretending he was the superhero. <laughs> because sometimes when you are just starting off on some new thing, like, you know, he was starting off running, you got to fake it to make it. And if faking it means pretending you're a superhero, like hurdling park benches or whatever, or, you know, putting on your, your bandana and running through the, through the heavily spider infested woods. Like I did in Virginia. Um, it makes it more fun. You know, you got to fake it. Sometimes you're like, okay, I might not be an athlete yet, but in my mind, I'm going to just completely transform. Uh, so yeah, I thought that was super cool. Um, Anyways, we will actually get back at you later this week. Sorry, this podcast came out about a day late uh, due to Thanksgiving uh, feasting and festivities. <laughs> uh, but yeah, hope you guys enjoyed and get, we'll get back at you next week. See ya.